0: session with Dr. Farid Halaqi. Evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hambra. Uh, no studio calls today because I am on Instagram live for the show. You can call in on Wednesday's show to the studio. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. And Spotify Um, so let's get into the books of the week Um, the book of the week for this week is algorithms to live by by Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths algorithms to live by um, the computer science of human decisions looking forward to reading that show uh, reading that book and sharing it with you having some issues with the Instagram live trying to get it started but unfortunately it's not working having a lot of technical difficulties here we're also trying to get a fan um, to work but apparently it's causing a little bit of interference with the uh, microphone so had to turn that off still adjusting to the new studio so that's the book of the week for this week algorithms to live by Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths the computer science of human decisions The book of the week from this past week that I'll talk about tonight is White Teeth by Zadie Smith. Um, This is a novel that came out in 2000 and it was recommended to me by some good friends of mine. Well, Negar uh, recommended it to me, but her sister Roxana had recommended it to her. And so it was through them that I learned of this book and... It, it was very very interesting so if you know the books of the week usually they are nonfiction, um, and every so often I'll pick a, a fiction book but not that many and every time I do I know that I should do more because I get so much out of it so I finished the book today I had about 18 pages left the climax the end of the book which did not disappoint um, and it was I, I was left with a really intense feeling, which I shared actually with Nagar and Roxana, since they had recommended the book. And we actually got to do a quick FaceTime chat tonight. I um, got to hear some of their thoughts on the book. They actually grew up in uh, the North London area, which uh, the majority of the book takes place there. So interesting hearing their, their insights on that. But, you know, I was left with this great feeling. Now, for a few reasons, I won't get too deep into the plot one is I don't think when you're talking about a fiction book you know we think of the story but really it's much more about what's in the story or between the the things that are happening the characters the development of what's going on more than just the plot itself and also I don't want to give any spoilers so I hope you will um, read the book White Teeth by Zadie Smith really fascinating book and I was reading just briefly about her And when she wrote the book, she was only 24 years old um, back in 2000. And it was a huge uh, success, both as far as sales goes, but also um, most people who reviewed the book critically was also acclaimed as well, won a lot of awards. And the book discusses lots of themes from um, cultural issues. I think immigrants will find it quite interesting or even if you're a child of an immigrant because you see that theme throughout the book with a few different families and what they have uh, experienced going to London um, adjusting to that culture but really figuring out who am i in this new culture and how do we hold on to our past or what does that even mean when we're in this new land a new place and also, even how much does holding on to our past affect how we can, uh, we call it acculturation, but uh, assimilate and acclimate to our new culture. And also, there's intergenerational themes as well. And I've seen this with families I've worked with, but also just friends and family as well. Um, oftentimes, parents want their kids to stay more, let's say, Iranian, if we're talking about Iranian immigrants, when they're here, Um, And of course, there's something about holding on to our past, the culture, traditions. There can be value in that. But also, we have to be aware that what are we doing in making sure we don't hold back our children from adjusting to this new culture. So I've worked with families where you can see the parents want them to stay more Iranian. But what I try to express to them is, yes, there can be value in that, but recognize that in allowing them to adjust to this culture they will need to let go in some ways of that culture so part of their happiness and success in the new country will be related to how much they're able to take in the new culture better than you will be able to so um i think that was interesting you see that theme in the book with parents especially one uh, family a bit from bangladesh and their battle especially the father of wanting to keep his kids uh in the culture so to speak uh, their own culture uh, and also with religion and that's another element and religion related to morality i also saw that theme that i see with a lot of iranian families we always hear them say that we don't want our kids to turn out like those like the american kids and what's even funnier is that um sometimes they'll call Americans, which means foreigners, um, but really what they mean is not us in a way. Um, so that that us and them, but very often I'll hear this, and you see this theme in the book too that we don't want our kids to become like the you know the Americans, the quote unquote heathens, so to speak, who don't have that morality that we have, and we are in that way better than them. Um, so that theme was also uh, in the book. And now as i mentioned i don't read that many books that are novels or fiction especially for the show in these last few years i've done a couple a year and often the sense we get i hear this from many people who read nonfiction they say well you know Fiction is just fun and stories, but you learn something from nonfiction books. And even I at times have that mentality. I've realized that I think, okay, I'm going to learn something from this book, and and these books are, you know, about stories. And yes, there's stories in them, but a good author and good literature, it, it should be capturing the human experience, and the spirit of of different elements of life that actually teach you a lot and I actually believe that you can learn maybe you could say different things but just as much from fiction than non-fiction and I had that experience in this book it made me reflect on so many aspects of life and about my life about um, even clients or friends family so many different things came up as I was reading this book that would not have been triggered had I been reading a non-fiction book or different things might have been triggered and as i was reading the book i also recognized that when you are reading fiction the author is not just telling you a story but they're also in a way expressing a philosophy of life or philosophies of life uh, about love about relationships about what it means to be a good person now usually especially in, in fiction it's not going to be shoved down your throat but you get this sense of what the author thinks or believes that is expressed through the various characters and as i was reading the book she would say things and i was like wow that's an interesting perspective on love or relationships um or about memory about our past a lot of that is coming up throughout the book i also um when you think of memory something i've observed and you see a lot of times with immigrants is there's an idealization of the past which we can understand that when you've moved from your home to a new land there is something you lose there is something you miss about being back home which we can understand Um, but when i hear people talk about for example iran especially pre-revolution of course and i'm not going to get into the changes that took place but there's definitely an idealization of what it was like because in our memory it stays that way. kind of like when you have a relationship that ends, oftentimes people will hold on to just the good parts and not for remember the rest so they don't have a full picture of it and they will just look back in that fond way and that itself serves a function possibly for them um, to have that. And you see that in the book where one of the characters um, Sam or Sam basically it's kind of like Samad but Samad he uh, you know looks back at, their own, quote unquote, their people in this superior way and misses their way of life. I I try not to do too many spoilers, but to the point where he has twins that at one point sends one of them back home, I think around the age of 10 to grow up there because he needs to reconnect um, to, you know, those good things of their roots, of their nature And so it's kind of interesting. Um, And and in talking to my friends, Roxana and Negar, who are twins, it was interesting. But, um, you know, there's this observation that he himself is split between the two lands. He is, uh, you know, part back in Bangladesh, but also part now in London. And so it's interesting how out of his sons, he sends one back and still has one there, With him, and interestingly, now that I'm thinking about it, the one he sends back is this good, moral kind of a person, um, as far as between the brothers. And the one that's still with him in in London is the one that's kind of the bad boy, the rebel, the immoral one. So we can say taking on in his mind the negative parts of this culture and how you get lose your morality when you come to this new country, uh, which is a very obviously biased way of looking at it. But interesting. Um, that that he does that but we can see this romanticized view he has of his own past even of one of his relatives his great grandfather who he talks about as this hero but it's disputed whether he's a hero or not we can see how much he gets out of remembering him as a hero Uh, and I see this with a lot of Iranians you see this with lots of people in general where there's this you know because we come from um, these people or this specific Descend it, and it makes us a a certain way more valuable. And to me, this is an interesting theme. Looking at our culture, I think it's very important to understand your heritage, understand your culture. But where we get into trouble is when we try to uh, put hierarchies over different cultures, or we make some superior and others inferior, and so we commonly see that people will look at their own culture and say, we come from this line of this kind of people or, you know, Iranians love lots of different things of, um, you know, uh, the Cyrus cylinder and there was human rights was, you know, and Persians came up with this or, um, culture or the different poets somehow make us superior to others. And the analogy I like to use is if you look at a baby and if you have a child, I mentioned this I think last week or recently my cousin Pega just had a baby wanted to go see her actually yesterday did a COVID test but there's a delay in the results I didn't get to go see her but looking forward to meeting her soon but beautiful Colette who's the new baby in our family we love her and of course Pega loves her probably more than anything and that baby is very special to her and if you look at that baby from your own eyes you see the beauty in it but you recognize that other moms and other parents are going to look at their baby the same way, that the most special baby in the world or the one that's most special to them. But it doesn't mean the babies are superior or inferior to each other. We, w- each other. we wouldn't want to compare them or hopefully we wouldn't compare this new generation in that way. And I think we can do the same thing with our history. We can love our history, or heritage, but you don't need to put it above other people's history or heritage so just like we look at this new generation with fondness and love and the one that's your baby you love to the fullest and you can have that special connection with but the problem is if you try to put your baby above others and so when we do with our cultures the same thing we get into trouble when you think if i look at my past and it makes me better than you because this is my history that's where we get into trouble if you understand the heritage the traditions and to you it has some meaning I think that can be fine but the problem is when you get into comparing and putting yourself above and below so you can love something or love your own past just like you love your own children but we want to be careful not to put that above and uh, you know putting people above and below one another I think some of this comes from our own fears of being small of being inferior we're afraid of being less than so we find ways to put ourselves above others so this fear of being inferior comes up and one way we can compensate for that is like how can i be inferior i come from this long line of royalty or uh, civilization or whatever it is or the original Aryans and this is you know of course this book actually had themes related to race and racism and color in it as well and so we can feel that we need to compensate or attach ourselves to something so if i come from this great line of kings and queens or royalty or uh, a better culture or civilization then that somehow makes me greater than others i'm not less so we compensate by making ourselves feel bigger than we are when the reality is we don't need to do that every human being should have value and we can see ourselves as having equal value we don't need to put ourselves above or put anyone else below to give us that feeling we can just see the goodness we have in ourselves Uh, so that theme was interesting for me too in this book of looking at cultures and comparing cultures and saying is it better to be you know part of the host culture you are now living in or part of your own roots and to me it's not that there is either or it's better or worse to be one or the other but something that we should Really look at a little more deeply is why we want to do those things. Why do we want to assume our own culture is somehow better than others? And you see this happening almost with everyone. We tend to do that, looking down on others as less moral, less smart, less whatever it might be, less good, um, and somehow to try to bring ourselves up. But it's coming from this place of thinking we're inferior. The problem is. It's not that we're superior and we need to go there, but the basis that makes us think that way, that we actually are um, inferior, that's the part where we're wrong. No one is less than anyone else, but we're also not better than either. So um, I didn't mention much about the plot, as I said, but loved the book White Teeth by Zadie Smith. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, I, I finished the book and had just like this overwhelming feeling of just feelings emotions lots of different things And so I highly recommend it and hope you will read it and let me know what you think. All right Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back Welcome back so in this segment, I wanted to change gears and Talk about dreams. It's actually a topic. I don't think I've talked too much about on this show Someone asked me about it earlier today, a friend, and I also had an interesting dream last night, so I thought it'd be good to talk about this very fascinating, intriguing, can at times feel mystical part of our human experience, having dreams. Um, As far as why we dream, it's not very clear why, so there isn't a definitive, this is why we dream dream. Um, are we the only animals that dream? It doesn't appear so. There's some research that suggests, or when you, you look at it, that other animals, some animals dream as well. And one of the reasons that makes dream study so difficult is another reason why it's hard to tell if an animal is dreaming is because it's subjective. And so when we try to research dreams, a lot of times even what they do is they wake someone up and ask them about their dreams. But of course, there's a lot that can be lost there. And it's hard to ask your dog to tell you about their dream. But I'm sure you've seen videos I have of dogs and it seems like they're having a dream um, or having some kind of experience. And so it seems like they might be dreaming as well. So what's the exact function or reason for dreaming? There's lots of different theories. Some are, uh, you know, when you look at a Freudian um, expression, there is this sense that it's about expressing uh, repressed or suppressed desires. And there could be um, something there. Jung had some other thoughts on it, but also can uh, revolve some of that. There's some theories that are very interesting that dreaming can be like a type of therapy, a space for us to express, think about um, different moral or emotional issues that we are dealing with. So uh, I did a little bit of research today looking at different theories of dreaming, and some people said that that might be part of it. I thought that was... That was quite interesting. So, um, and I'll touch a bit more on the, the function of dreaming or why we might do it. Even sleep, we don't completely understand the function of it or, or what what's going on there. We know that sleep and dreaming could be related to this, can be involved with things like learning and forming memories, or that there could be something in sleeping that um, makes... you know, it's like some type of housekeeping or cleaning up within the brain that could be going on there. there, know, that's, that's also a possibility. Now looking at the meaning of dreams. So let me tell you about the dream I had last night. Um, It it was really vivid. I guess that's why I thought it was interesting. Um, But I had this dream and it felt very real. It was like I had just woken up as I was about to do shortly, probably after whenever I had this dream and it was snowing outside my window. Now, any of you who know about Los Angeles or live in Los Angeles know that that has to be a dream because uh, it doesn't snow here. It never really, I think, has snowed exactly, especially where I live. And But in my dream, it felt very real. And I was seeing, it was beautiful. There's the snow falling on my street, and I could see it very vividly, very clearly. And I even remember having this thought, something like, in a positive way, yeah 2020 has been such a strange year with everything going on this strange thing is happening too in a positive way um now you can feel free to do your armchair interpreting of my dream and i'm not giving you that much detail but that was a dream i had and it was quite beautiful um in a strange way sometimes think dreams are funny because when we talk about good dreams or bad dreams um Sometimes you can think of a good dream as really bad because when you wake up, you realize it's not true. And in some ways, a bad dream can feel good because when you wake up and realize it was a dream, it's such a relief. So I think that's an interesting component of our dreaming that um, sometimes it can feel sad when you wake up and uh, the dream was not real, something that you saw in the dream. So now what do dreams mean? This is a big thing. And people give a lot of significance to their dreams. I saw a study was saying that, if people have a dream, let's say the night before a flight, that their plane is going to crash, or if they're told of this, they're more likely to cancel the dream, uh, the flight, sorry, than if they just had a worry about it. So we do tend to have this belief or thought that our dreams are somehow prophetic or meaningful, connected to some mystical, supernatural world. And of course, I can't disprove this um, and you definitely can't prove it either. Some people might prove it by telling you my grandma had this dream, this was going to happen and then it did happen. Um, and But I think we can also look at it in other ways. We always want to see, can we explain it in other ways or what else might be going on? So when it comes to interpreting dreams, one thing I don't think is possible is to find a sort of dictionary for dreams. You know, some people say, what does um you know this thing mean in a dream what does a snake mean what does this mean what does that mean and could there be some more general things i think it's possible but not in the sense of there's a clear dictionary if you dreamt of a snake it means x is happening or the snake is this i don't think that makes to me sense now someone might say from a Jungian perspective there's a collective unconscious so there's some things that we all share now I think that's possible I think it's more we all share things in the sense of culture or in human society that then could be reflected in how we see or think about things or the symbolism of different things but I don't know if that necessarily means if you don't know about something um, it's going to somehow still come in your dream and mean that same thing You know, when we interpret dreams in therapy and it's a delicate process and not something that you can say, well, if this was your dream and tell me about it, we know exactly what was going on, but it can give you at times insights into things that might be in your unconscious or feelings that you're dealing with. Um, We take it very slow and we want to understand, well, what does that mean to you? Because a snake, maybe to a lot of us means a certain thing, but if you're someone who studies snakes for a living, or if you're someone who received the gift of a snake from A loved one who knew you love snakes snakes might mean something very different than it does to many other people or most other people so there is this we have to look at understanding what does those things mean to you and it doesn't mean that's going to simplify it completely but to be aware don't look for i would suggest you know you can go online and there's thousands of these types of websites that will tell you what do things mean in their dreams because it's similar to fortune telling where people want to know things they don't know we want to know the future we want to know what's the right choice and we don't trust ourselves to make that choice or to know what's going on so we want some other source to tell us a lot of times people go to a fortune teller just because they're so anxious and uncertain about making a decision they want someone and then they can say it's some mystical power to tell them what to do so i'm going to go see the fortune teller and see should i break up with my girlfriend or not? Should I take this job or to do that? Because we're, we feel unsure or uncertain about it ourselves. We want someone else, something else, some mystical force to tell us what to do. But the truth is, I don't think it has that type of mystical power. It, it's possible it has some. I'm not saying completely it can have some connection to something. Again, I can't disprove that. But I think it's always important to look at what can we understand from the dreams. Now, also looking at the prophecy part, I'll share something else about my own personal dreams. Uh, I don't know if he's listening, but my uh, I, uh, is related to one of my cousins who I'm related to, uh, my cousin Pedram, who I love very much. It's quite interesting. Two different times in my life, and I know people even saying this, they might say, don't say this, but I had dreams that he died. Okay, And I remember actually when I was a kid and I had this dream, I actually asked my Father, about it because I was very distressed. And my dad said, It probably just means you love him very much and you worry about him or would be afraid to lose him or wouldn't want to lose him. And and that worked for me and it made sense for me. I do love him dearly. um, But it wasn't some prophecy. um, And, uh, you know, it doesn't mean I predicted something. It could just mean that that's something that's going on. Or people will have a dream their husband wife boyfriend or girlfriend is cheating on them and there's lots of you know even memes or things about this that the person wakes up angry at them now is it possible you have that dream and your partner is cheating on you yes now you might have had that dream for lots of reasons Um, you are uh, anxious about your partner cheating or there could be some signs and it's in your let's say, unconscious, or you're thinking, and it might show up. Now, what's interesting is sometimes people think, well, I've, you know, figured out, oh, that means my partner is this way. But when we have also dreams, just like when we have lots of experiences or thoughts, we also have to look at the reverse. Could you be having a dream about your partner cheating because you yourself are thinking about having an affair or have that on your mind so we do have to be i don't want to say careful in the sense that um you know you should have to hide something but be very aware that when you have a thought it doesn't necessarily mean that straightforward thing just like oftentimes we are suspicious let's say others oh they're just trying to rip me off because you yourself are someone who might rip people off so that's in your mindset and you're projecting that out onto them some people will say when you look at dreams you can interpret it not that the other people are other people but that everyone in some way represents you or parts of you and that that that's that could be uh something to look at and as you're seeing i'm talking about a lot of different things because i think dreams are a lot of different things it's not just one thing it's not just dreams are an expression of your repressed blah 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 let's say in a freudian way it's not dreams are a prophecy i don't think that's probably true to any way. it doesn't mean dreams are Things that are happening in your life that you're just not aware of consciously. It can be a lot of different things that are going on. Even there's some kind of like residue from your day that affects your dreams. I remember when we would, uh, you know, drive back from Fresno for family weekends, we would play uh, volleyball on Sundays. And I remember falling asleep in the back of the car and I would remember playing volleyball in the dream and sometimes I'd actually move and I'd wake up to myself moving to get the ball in my dream. Now, of course, maybe you can say there's some depth there and there could be something that was being expressed in that dream, but it does seem also likely that it was affected by the fact that I played volleyball a few hours that day. You can say those parts of my brain or areas of my brain were still firing or still... Uh, You know, activated in some way, or I was still thinking about the things that happened, maybe doing some, as I was saying, mental housekeeping, so to speak. So that happened, and physically my body was still engaging and playing volleyball in some way. Um, Or they've done studies where they will introduce a scent while the person is asleep. And at times that scent will enter their dream or they'll wake up, for example, the smell of cinnamon or, or something else. And then the person will incorporate that into the, their dream. So we can also see, it's not just when we dream, we go into some other world completely, even though it does feel that way, we're still connected to this world. You maybe remember as a kid, I remember hearing this too, you know, your parents might say, if you eat something bad or have a stomach ache, you'll have bad dreams. And that might seem like one of those things that parents say to scare you, but there can definitely be truth to that. We can imagine that if you're in physical discomfort, that can affect your dreams, what's going on in your mind while you are asleep and affecting your dreams. So we see that dreams are a very complex and fascinating experience of life because They can feel so real like my dream today of seeing a beautiful snowy day in Los Angeles, something you probably will never see. Um, They feel so real that it feels like a reality. It feels like you're going into another world. It could be just your brain doing something just like you can imagine something and it feels real. Now you have the conscious awareness that it's not real and that might be a difference but it doesn't have to be something so mystical and strange but I think there can be some value in looking at them at times, not going necessarily always in depth or trying to remember all of them. But if you remember a dream, you can explore it but just be aware that you're not gonna necessarily uncover some truth, that there isn't some dictionary that can tell you exactly what all your dreams meant verbatim or you know, story by story. There might be something there but be aware that it could also be some random thoughts and things. Also, I did actually want to mention this. If you have a dream and you do something really bad, doesn't mean you're a bad person or you want to do those things. Just like even if you are awake, we have fleeting thoughts, things that pop into your mind. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or want to do those things. Thoughts and actions are not the same thing. Actually, people who have obsessive compulsive disorder, unfortunately, they'll have sometimes these thoughts that pop into their head, like hurting someone, you know, hitting someone with their car, doing something really bad, and it gets stuck in a loop. And in a way, they feel like maybe that makes them bad, and they have to do these compulsions to stop themselves from doing something. It's very heartbreaking. But in general, for all of us, whether you suffer from OCD or not, we can recognize that We're not responsible for fleeting thoughts, even if they are negative, and you're not responsible for what happens in your dreams or think that that makes you a bad person if you did something or saw something or imagined something that was negative in your dreams. Let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, Before I forget, I wanted to say this at the top of the show, but for a few years now, Uh, here at Radio Hamra with the uh, help of Suzy Khatami who has helped us with this this project or this um, uh, charitable event for the last, I think it's five years during the holidays, the Christmas holidays with the UCLA Mattel Children's Hospital. We have gathered toys that would be given to the children who are there at the hospital and so, of course, a very worthy cause. These children who have Uh, or experiencing some kind of health issue that's keeping them in the hospital during the holidays of course at any time we would hope they don't have to be there but especially during the holidays it could be nice to give them a gift to at least hopefully brighten their day even a little bit Um, whatever we can do I think we all would feel like it's never enough but hopefully we can give them some some love something and so for about five years we have been doing this every holiday season, where people actually bring in gifts to um, the Radio Hamra studios, offices, mail them in. People send them in from I don't I think even across the world, but across the country for sure. People come in personally and hand them in, which is uh, and every year when I'm sitting in the studio, I could see the room where we would keep the gifts, and you'd see the the pile or the You know, the gift's growing um, and people were sending gifts from all over. It was very touching. Now, this year with the coronavirus, many things are affected or at least we have to get creative. And so what Susie has done, Susie Khatami is uh, organizing with the the Mattel Children's Hospital, is creating a Amazon wish list. And so what people can do, and I was going to put it on my bio on my Instagram page, but I will do it. Uh, after the show so by the time if you're listening on the podcast it'll already be up Um, people can go click on the uh, wish list and there's a whole range of different gifts of different prices and you can give whatever you would like and in some ways it's even more convenient than before where you had to get the gift and 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 send it in you just um, order the gift online through amazon and the gift will be delivered i actually did it Last week, when she sent me the link, ordered something I think Tuesday, Wednesday, it was there. And so I thought that was really sweet and really cool and an easy way. And wherever you are in the world, you could help and contribute in that way. So I'll put that link in my Instagram bio um, by tonight. You can go on there. I myself had some issues when I clicked on the link and it went into my Amazon app. There was some reason the, 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 uh, wish list didn't load um, but when I opened it in a browser it did so you know I hope if you click on it and you have that same issue you'll get try a little bit and you might be able to find a way to still get on there but I think it's a really great way um, we can you know give to some children who are not having a great uh, experience unfortunately with with their health but hopefully brighten their holidays a little bit. so a big thank you again to, to Susie Khatami for setting that up again. Year after year, this year, with a COVID type of a um, exception or creativity, to still get these gifts to the kids, I think that's wonderful. So, big thank you to her. Now, um, you know, hard to transition out of that something. So, so wonderful and very special. But I, I will. Some people during the commercial breaks on Instagram Live will ask questions. One question, someone they asked it a few times, so I wanted to address it. They said, "Is one year." Enough time uh, to date in order to get married? A good question. And one that, as you maybe if you've heard me talk before, I won't give you a strict date or length of time because so many factors go into that. Because it depends on when you're dating. If you start dating at 18 and you know you don't want to get married to a certain age, Uh, that could be different but let's put those things aside if you are um, dating at an age where you are ready to get married whatever that is for you and also length of time can differ can be different based on a few things how often you're seeing each other um, if it's long distance or not for example um, but how regularly you see each other let's say if you are in the same city If you are getting together, often, frequently, were you exclusive, let's say, for a year? So let's say you met a year ago, but you were just talking for a while. So if you were in a relationship, let's say, if we take that as a type of a starting date. And one point about that, um, a lot of times people assume a lot. Of course, we all assume probably too much. One thing that we assume that can get us into some trouble or heartache is to assume that we and the person we are dating are on the same page. So, um, people don't like having the conversation, let's say of saying, are you my boyfriend? Are you my girlfriend? And people have different thoughts on those labels, which is, um, you know, can could be their own thing, but people don't like to talk about these things because they're uncomfortable. But I think it's very important to have a conversation about, are we exclusive and to not make that assumption just because. You've went on a certain number of dates just because um, the person is showing a certain level of affection or love. Some people will tell me, well, there's no way he or she is dating someone else because we talk so much. And that's possible, but I think it's a good idea to communicate about it. Um, It could be a little bit uncomfortable, but if you can't have this kind of a conversation with this other person, something's wrong. Either you're not good at having these conversations or the partner or the person you're dating can't handle this kind of conversation, you're gonna have a lot harder conversations down the line, or, you're, or you'll need to have much harder conversations down the line. So if you can't handle this one, you already are in some trouble and that itself can be a type of uh, red flag. So you need to be able to talk about these things. So I always recommend people have that conversation if you've been dating for a little while. Now, if you're asking for it too early, let's say after the first date or the second date, that could be a sign of a anxious attachment you're afraid of losing the person they're not going to like you they're going to be with other people they won't be there for you and so you might be in some way trying to lock them up in a way that's actually not a sign of how much you like them but more an expression of your anxiety so i think it's important to have that conversation now because the question was about how long um, or is one year enough time in my opinion if you're in a serious Committed relationship, and you're at the right age, and you want to get married, one year is definitely uh, enough time to get to know the other person enough to make that type of a decision. Um, Again, if you are dating regularly, seeing each other regularly, it's very important to see each other in person. That's why I mentioned about long distance, uh, over the phone, text. Um, in, In the corona age, I know this can be difficult, but if you are. Uh, just communicating on those types of virtual ways, not in person, I think you have to be very careful because seeing each other in person cannot be replaced with any kind of technology. It it can do a lot. It can make it closer to that. But if you are dating to then get married, to then live together, to create a life together, you need to spend time together face-to-face, go through things together uh, face-to-face and experience them in that way. But one year I think is enough time because you will have experiences together. You will see parts of their personality. You'll show parts of your personality. You'll see how you connect. What are the issues there? And when you've been together that long, it's not just, well, should we get married or not? You know, A lot of times people, because we can be so fixated on a certain result, we miss what might be more important. It's not about getting married. It's about having a good marriage, or it's not about just getting someone to marry you. It's about marrying the right person. So be aware of some things when you are starting to um get to know someone or get to that point that it's not just about are they going to marry me or not obviously it's if you want to marry them and is this the right match so if you want to marry someone you should be able to express the strengths and weaknesses of that person you hopefully know them about yourself and you also should be able to express the strengths and weaknesses of your own relationship if you can't see that there is a problem so either you don't want to see them or you don't really understand your relationship well enough to make that type of a decision so it's not just up oh, it's been one year it's we have to get married now because the date on the calendar says so um, you should be having types of conversations that you understand what's what's going on between the two of you what are your strengths and weaknesses i highly recommend premarital counseling you know when people hear premarital counseling, um, first of all, people always can have issues with any kind of therapy in general, but with premarital counseling, people will say, Oh, if you need therapy before you even get married, Oh, the relationship is really in trouble. Now we don't do premarital counseling because the relationship is falling apart. You, You can do it for that reason to try to, to see what you have and to fix it. But that's more what you're doing is seeing what you have. So in some ways, Premarital counseling does give you a type of an assessment. Let's see what we have here. And in the premarital counseling, you'll share the issues that are going on. And the therapist might give you some input, but at the end, you'll make your own decision of how good of a match are we? Um, No matter who you pick to be with, you're picking a set of problems. There's going to be issues between any two people. It's figuring out, are those issues big enough to make this not work? Are they small enough that we can... Tolerate and handle them and work through them and are we the right match for one another? So if anyone tells me we have no issues in our relationship, I'm very concerned for that couple. Just like if anyone tells me I have no emotional or psychological issues, that just tells me they don't know themselves very well. Where they don't want to acknowledge what who they really are and they only want to see, let's say, the pluses. So if you think oh, our relationship is perfect, no problems, that's a problem because you're missing what has to be there which is some things are going to be issues doesn't mean big enough issues to not marry each other but it means you you have to have some issues just like any human being does and your relationship does so in premarital counseling you look at the issues look at the problems that are there one to see are they big enough to make us break up or can we make this work um, but also to see if we can start working on them right you go see a dentist, I've used that example a lot of times. If there's some issues with your teeth, maybe you can fix them before they become worse. We know that when we ignore problems, they don't go away. They only get bigger, especially with marriage. If you're in a relationship, that's one thing. But now when you're living together and, and uh, trying to create a life together, might have children together, all of those things, the problems are just going to grow. They're not going to go away. So if we think we'll ignore them, and I've heard it so many times, you know, he was this way, but I thought when we get married, he'd get better. Oh, she would do this, and I hated it, but I thought maybe we get married, it'll change. And it only got worse. So we have to be ready for that. And in premarital counseling, you might be able to work on some of those issues, um, not necessarily make them disappear, but make them less, understand how to deal with them, um, reduce the impact they're having on the relationship, things like that. Not only that, you'll learn about things like communication skills. How do we bring up arguments? How do we talk to one another? What are our specific strengths and weaknesses individually in communication and also as a couple? So you strengthen the relationship as well. It's not just the relationship is falling apart. You're assessing the relationship and strengthening the relationship. So I'd highly recommend premarital counseling if you're not sure about the relationship and how it's going or if let's say one of you is not sure about it talk about it but premarital counseling can also be a good place to get a better um, understanding about what's going on and hopefully strengthen the relationship now again coming back to the question of is one year enough i think it is if you have a um partner and they're not willing to make that commitment you really need to openly have a conversation with them and openly means giving them the space to let you know what's really going on for them. If you tell them, why won't you marry me? Well, you're not really giving them the space. Now, you can ask that why, but in a way of letting them express what's going on for them. And you never want someone to feel forced to marry you, whether you're the guy or the girl. You don't want to force someone into marrying you. Again, don't make marriage the finish line. Uh, And if anything, it's the starting gun. But the most important thing is to have a good marriage. That's what you want to do. Having just a marriage is not a good thing. A good marriage is what you're looking for. So we don't want to force anyone to marry us or if you're a family member to force anyone to marry, let's say, your family member or to push them to get married. Uh, We're looking for that good relationship, that good marriage, which means we have to be a good match. All right, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. As always, a big thank you to Amir. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night.